So first, I, I did want to bring you some uh, greetings from Atlanta, which is where I live. I'm sorry, there's just a little setting here. Um, I'm part of a church that's called the North River Church of Christ. Uh, we've been there uh, since 2005. Uh, Atlanta's a huge area. You could think Toronto. It's really kind of, it's not really necessary to have just a one, to have one church in an area that big is hardship for a lot of people. People have to drive an hour or two. And we're um, around 1,100 members, uh, university ministry around 200. One reason my wife and I decided to go there is that there were lots of people who were farther down the road of life and of life in Christ than we were. My wife was one of the earliest people baptized, first people baptized when we planted a church in London uh, in the early 80s. And I was, uh, I was baptized in the mid-70s. But going to North River, as we call it in Atlanta, there were lots of people who are older than me, people who were down the road of life and give us perspective. It's, it's important just to be able to get that kind of input. For reasons you'll learn in just a moment, this is the name of the sermon, Serpent and the Savior. How many of you are familiar with John 3.16? I mean, it's, it used to be the most quoted verse in the New Testament. It is no longer. The last seven years, it's been Matthew 7.1. Judge not. Because most Bible, I mean conservative, Bible churches, most members don't believe in truth anymore. They say they do, but they don't believe in real truth, absolute truth. It's like your truth and my truth, and don't judge me. Well, you think you understand this passage? God so loved the world, gave his only son. It seems to kind of summarize something important about Christianity. But to understand a passage, we need to look at it in context. I mean, just three verses earlier is where Jesus says no one's gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. And yet we have almost all Christians today teach that you die and go to heaven. According to the New Testament, you don't. You go to paradise and you wait until the second coming. You're resurrected bodily in your body. You're judged before the throne. And then people will go to heaven, or they'll be destroyed in hell, but no one has gone to either of those destinations yet. Ever been to a Christian funeral? Oh, Uncle Joe, he's up there looking down on us. Which is kind of a nice thought, unless you're naked or something. Like, you're in the shower? Is Uncle Joe look, looking down on me? <laughs> That's certainly not what the early church taught, and you won't find that teaching in the Bible. But I digress. Kind of. Let's look right before. John 3.14. This helps us with the context. Now this chapter, it's not so much a chapter about being saved, though it has a famous born-again passage. We read this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, your version may say snake, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For, right, that's a connecting word. That means to appreciate this statement, you have to connect it with what went before. And if you don't do that, you're not getting it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him 
may not perish but may have eternal life. That's the context. And that's why we have the name of the sermon, this. Which you may say, that's not an old, you said you're gonna preach from the Old Testament today. I am. I am, because you can't understand John 3.16 fully without the Old Testament. See, John 3.16 is not a, it's not a passage about how to be saved. If it were meant to be a passage about how to be saved, it's woefully incomplete. Because repentance is not there, but that's in verse 21. Baptism is not there, that's in verse 5. That was the unanimous consensus of all the early Christians. So it's not a, about salvation, it's not about us at all, it's about God. And he will say nine chapters later that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he, he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. John, there's a kind of a back and forth, up-down theme. Up, down. Even born again, a few verses before this, Jesus says, you must be born from above. And the word means from above, or it means again. It's both. So John's full of double meanings, often kind of like a heavenly and an earthly. And, or I could say like a channel one and a channel two. And people are often on channel two when they should be on channel one, especially Jesus' own disciples. So what I want to do, what I purpose to do in this, this message is to illuminate John 3.16 by going to the source of it, which is in Numbers 21. And don't worry, I'll project it all up here. How many of you have seen snakes up close? How many of you uh, are more afraid of spiders than of snakes? That would be me, though I think I'm less afraid than I used to be. <laughs> Makes me think of a time I was, we just bought a tent and I wanted to sleep in the, in the back garden. And my, my brother and I were in the tent and I woke up in the middle of the night and a cricket had got inside my underpants. <laughs> and I was screaming. Of course, I didn't know that it was simply an insect, not a spider. I didn't know that. But I remember it ended in my parents' bedroom 20 minutes later with me not having any clothes on and crying and <laughs> a little more control now. I've held snakes, big snakes. I, snakes don't bother me. Um, still feel a little weird about spiders, <laughs> Daddy, except Daddy Longlegs. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance to properly answer. And in Georgia, where I live, we have some big snakes. And the most aggressive that I've seen multiple times, it's, it's like a meter and a half long. It's called a southern black racer. Sounds like a human, it's not a human, it's a snake. Southern black racer. Look like rattlers, they make that, that noise. That sounds like a tambourine, and, but they're not poisonous. But I've got some stories about them. So let's go back to the Old Testament so that we can understand what exactly John was getting at in John 3.16, or John 3.14-16. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, out of slavery. They'd been liberated in a great event called the Exodus. And the Exodus, in Greek, that means exit. It is related to the Latin word that gives us our word exit, which I hope you're not going to right now. So hear me out. Uh, the, the exodus is a departure from Egypt where they were slaves, but it should be more, and it should have been more. It should have been a departure from the world. It should have been a time of greater appreciation for God. But they were wandering in the desert. 
In fact, they were not just wandering geographically. If you've read uh, the books of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus too, they're wandering in a different way. So here's our passage. Uh, Aaron, the high priest, Aaron, the older brother of Moses, has just died. And I think this may have hit people hard. That's in chapter 20. And I'm reading from chapter 21 of Numbers. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? This is the group that just went through the Red Sea, right? And God's given them the manna to sustain them. And, For there's no food and water, and we detest this miserable food. So look at them. They're, they're imp it says they're impatient, maybe because they had to go around the land of Egypt. So they're, they're around here. Exodus is probably up there through the water in the area called the Sea of Reeds. And then they would have come down here, and eventually uh, Edom is, is about there. So they're going around Edom. Maybe it took longer. How do you behave when things take longer than you hoped? <laughs> your computer, you tell your friends it's thinking. Really, you would throttle it if it were human. Uh, you get impatient. I, I do. I get impatient. Before my father died, I wanted to apologize to him for ways I'd hurt him, and particularly for arrogance, which I thought was the biggest thing. I mean, I apologized also for the arrogance of our church. His response was actually encouraging. He said, I don't think that's the big thing, but maybe it's your impatient. Okay, well, maybe sometimes they look the same. But if you think fast, you read fast, you move fast, it's easy to be impatient. But even us, even we who are like that, we make our own mistakes. These people are critical, not only of God, but of Moses. It's as though they didn't learn the lesson from number 16 called Korah's Rebellion. That's an intense story. And they're complaining about the food. You know, there's no pizza or whatever they want. They complain. If you want to know more about them, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 gives us a list of their main sins. But this should have been a grateful generation, and they're wandering. And this is how the Lord responds, and this is a bit of a shocker. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents. The New Revised Standard Version renders it poisonous. Probably both are true. Among the people, and they bit the people, so many Israelites died. Now. This is kind of unusual. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So it's just God's normal way of dealing with us now. What if we were ungrateful and complaining and all of a sudden there were 200 vipers slithering through this gymnasium Right. Biting the ungrateful ones. <laughs> I mean, this is not how the Lord normally deals with people in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just admit it, it's weird. It's very weird. 
And when things are weird in the Bible, think theologically. Okay, hang on. This means something. What does it mean? And what do they do to deserve that? Well, they did plenty to deserve it. But what gets even stranger is the next passage. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said, make a poisonous serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it upon a pole. Whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. That's the story. Numbers 21, uh, 4 to 9. If you're a kind of a veteran student of the Old Testament, it may parallel Exodus 17, where Moses, Aaron and her help Moses' arms be up. They make the shape of a cross. And as long as that happens, they're winning the battle. And when, so there's that kind of thing going on, that up and down. Now, I know that snakes can have positive overtones, and they're associated with healing uh, in some religions and in many associations. But that's the Old Testament background. So what's wrong with the people? Why are they getting bitten by snakes and dying? I know it's a strange event, but you've you got to ask questions. It'll seem less strange and it'll become a bit personal. Well, it's their own fault. And if they, if they were bitten and then they died, but they didn't look to Moses, they didn't look to this symbol, they died not because they didn't look at the snake, they died because of their own sin. People today say, it's so unfair. If someone's never heard the gospel, why, you know, why wouldn't they have eternal life? Why wouldn't God bless them with eternal life? Well, their basic problem isn't that they didn't hear the gospel. The basic problem is that they joined in the rebellion against God. And they don't think of themselves that way. They may not even be aware of their sin, but I think they are because we're all sinners and we have consciences. So it's not because they didn't see the snake that they're in trouble. It's because of sin. That's important. Now we find out, this is crazy. This is like a bonus slide. Some of you will like this. This is later on, some 600 years later, we read this. King Hezekiah was one of the good guys, um, king of the southern kingdom of Judah. This is just a few years after the Assyrians. We talked about yesterday, the Assyrians took away the north, the 10 tribes lost and gone forever through intermarriage. Right? They didn't move to Britain or the U.S. or Illinois or New York. They just stopped existing because of intermarriage and death. Well, this is Hezekiah, and a uh, king of Judah. And when he was dealing with the sin problems in Judah, this is just before 700 B.C., we read that he, broke, he removed the high places. A lot of uh, false worship was uh, on the high places. He broke down these sacred pillars, cut down the pole, and he broke in pieces. Look at this. The bronze serpent that Moses has made. Why? You'll see this in many places in the Old Testament. Something that is useful or good becomes an object of idolatry. Yeah. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and it was called nechushtan. Uh, nachash is the word for snake in Hebrew. I'm pretty sure, I remember that. 
Wow. So they're still wayward. And this is actually during a Bible revival. This is during a period when God's people are doing pretty well. It's going to decline soon. Do we have an idolatrous view of Jesus? You know, Jesus had lifted up. There's a parallel between the Savior and the serpent. But for centuries, people have converted Jesus into a Jesus that you will not find in the Bible. And, you know, it's the Jesus who's shivering in the cold, begging you to open the door of your heart and do him a favor and let him in. You know, that the sinner's prayer, 1835 United States. That's where that came from. Not in the Bible. Or it's the Jesus who is the Che Guevara. He's the revolutionary. He, he says, you know, I go back on what I said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's okay to kill your enemies. They've got their own view of Jesus. So think about that. So how long were uh, God's people wandering in the desert? I thought about this a lot because I'm at that point. Uh, a few months ago, I hit 40 years as a Christian. I know I look youthful. I became a Christian when I was three, so that's it. <laughs> Obviously not. Um, although, even as a little kid, I had very little hair. If you look at my pictures as a baby, the hair just comes up like that. Okay. <laughs> so that's not recent. A lot of my friends are going totally bald. I'm just like the tortoise, not the hair. Just very, uh, H-A-R-E, <laughs> going slowly. None of this is in my notes. Okay, now. So I thought about this because um, I'm, I'm 58. I hit 40 a few months ago, and I look back at my life. You gotta do that sometime. You say, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the age. Maybe you're not 40, maybe you're close. You'll be there in three years, or you'll be there in 20 years, or whatever, but eventually, hopefully, you'll get there. And so what do I have to show for it? Have I really been a steward, a grateful steward of what God has given me? It's good to do that sometimes. Well, something hit me years ago. Where was I? I, was, I think I was in Swaziland in, in the Africa. That the Israelites, I looked at a map. They could have walked from Egypt to the Promised Land in 40 days. Yeah. Now, they eventually got there, kind of. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them died before they got there. But something that could have been done in 40 days took 40 years. And this wasn't God's fault. It's not because God had planned a catalog of adventures you know, on the way so they wouldn't be bored in the desert. Yeah, it was a very scenic route. So I asked myself, am I on the scenic route or am I getting down to business? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Because there'll come a time when it's too late. And there'll come a time when we are judged before the creator of the world, and there'll be no exceptions. Everyone will be judged. Now, you may have been told, yeah, but when God looks at you, he'll just see Jesus, so you'll be fine. They'll say, come on in. And that is not what the New Testament says. Sometimes, sometimes I call that the two-step. It's kind of like a Protestant two-step. Look at me. I'm not living like a disciple. But when God looks at me, he just sees Jesus. So I, I can live the way I want to live little two-step misunderstanding and I mentioned the Protestant Reformation because you know the world's been celebrating the 500th year of it I'm, I'm reading about that easy to make that mistake but there's actually an urgency to get our lives right there's no reincarnation in Christianity Christianity 
we will meet God when we die, not come back as an insect, a bat, or a person, and eventually just disappear completely. And I had an interesting experience coming here, and Dave knows about it, David, because he received many of my texts. I got to the airport early. I was in Washington, because I was visiting my friend. And um, kind of lost track of the time. You know, in my iPhone, it, the boarding pass in the iPhone just gives you the boarding time. They don't give you the departure time. But if you go to the main app, it gives you the departure time. And I was just getting a little confused. I'm in the lounge, happily working away. Some of my lessons for here, to make you guys feel guilty <laughs> about what happened. But all of a sudden, it was 11.10 departure. I look down, and my watch says 11.07. Oh I'm more than a five-minute jog from the gate. So I was very urgent. When I was running out, I only grabbed one oatmeal raisin cookie to eat as I was running. And I come up to the gate, and it says final boarding. I go, but no one's here except an agent. I ran to her. I said, please, she scanned my boarding pass. And I'm running down the jetway. The door has just closed. And the woman who was there, I begged her. I said, please, it's my fault, but I, could you just open the door? She said, no, we can't do that, it's regulation. I said, you make an exception? I said, I'm, I'm speaking to a great group in Winnipeg. And if I don't make this, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the speaker. She said, I never knew you. No, she didn't say that. But you know, it, it was like Matthew 7, 23, and it is like Matthew 25, whatever the verse is, 10 or something. But, there's a time when the doors close when it actually is too late. So I trudged up the jetway, depressed. Please, is there no way? No, there's no way. I, I reminded myself of Esau in Hebrews 12, who begged for his father's blessing with tears, but it was too late. I said, well, there's another airport in Washington. Washington has National and it has Dulles. And I'm on my phone look, look, going to kayak.com, trying to see how am I gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make it to Winnipeg if it kills me. And she said, well, I could book you on a, there's a one o'clock flight from Washington, Dulles. But I don't know if you'll make that. I ran, taxi, had a great 40 minutes with my driver, an Ethiopian who was full of stories and it was great. And I got there and I actually made it and, I, and connected Minneapolis to my original flight from Minneapolis, and I got here on time, actually a few minutes early. And at the judgment day, that's what's gonna to happen to everybody. God's just threatening you. There'll be a plan B, there'll be a different way. No, there won't. It probably won't turn out that way. And I've flown thousands of times, and there's some times I've just missed it entirely. I mean, it was in the air. <laughs> it's actually one of my bad dreams. Preachers have dreams, I used to have tornado dreams. I have a dream, I'm caught in traffic typically in a place like London or, not, or Lagos. And I'm gonna miss my flight, it's the sickest feeling. And I get there finally, there's no one in the airport at all. I look <laughs> at the runway, there's tumbleweed blowing across. That's a dream, I have that dream. The other dream is I'm preaching and I realize, well, I'm only dressed from the waist up or something like that. <laughs> okay, 
an, an analyst, a counselor would tell me what's really going on. But the point is, I begged for them to make an exception. I actually begged. They, they didn't. And the judgment day, I, I don't think begging is going to God say, you know, yeah, we kind of overstated things. And my son, you know, he really played the role, didn't he? But actually, everyone's okay, and his grandmother too. Because it's our grandmothers we think about. Well, this is our passage. It would be wrong to conclude without making some application. So let's do that. But let's just read our passage one more time, because this is our text, more than John 3.16. Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery, poisonous serpent, set it up on a pole. Everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a, or copper, same word, put it on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. That is the key to understanding John 3.16. So what's going on? We've been bitten. Every one of us is a sinner. It could be the sin of complaining, you know, grumbling in a very negative way. I mean, that, that's what clinched it with, with our people in the book of Numbers. It could be materialism, it could be gluttony, it could be sexual sin. Probably is sexual sin for a lot of people. We're in the middle of an epidemic right now. True. It could be meanness to others, it could be disrespect. But we've been bitten and we're in trouble. The problem is that we, it's not that we haven't come to terms with the gospel, it's that we've sinned. Yes. Second application, the Lord wants our attention. Those people in the wilderness had to actually not just look at their snake bite, they had to look up and pay attention and follow orders and look at the, the cure, look at the solution. God is trying to get our attention. It's been put very well this morning. God doesn't play favorites. There are many verses in the Bible that say God has no favoritism. He loves us all. And Jesus even, he knew Judas would betray him, but he treated him with love during his entire ministry of years. But God needs our attention. I did an experiment last month. I said, well, okay, let's just see what happens. In January, no computer games. Usually my computer games are on the computer called my iPhone. I said, I'll stop that. Not for the year, but for the month. Let's see what happens. Uh, it was very positive. I was more focused. Out of that, I decided, you know, I used to always go on a daily prayer walk. Somehow the last few years, I think it was because of medical issues, um, that kind of stopped. So it's good to be strong in your Bible study, but for men especially, because it's not always safe for a woman to go on a walk. Right, some cities in the world, I mean, you're not going to get far before they take you. But I doubt Winnipeg is, you know, I'm not thinking of Winnipeg. <laughs> Maybe Khartoum or Juba, but not Winnipeg, right? And, and for me, just that discipline of getting out, getting away, not bringing my phone with me, that's just good. It's healthy. Yeah. If a 40-year-old Christian can slip up and needs to get back on track, maybe that would apply to you, regardless of how long you've been around. It's hard to get our attention, I think God must feel. It's like we're 
we've got this ADD. But I think we've got to ask ourselves, do we have a spiritual ADD? We're so busy. We're so distracted. We're so multitasking, which is usually multi-failing, because no one can do more than two things at a time, really. Spiritual ADD, which would be sad, wouldn't it? Um, If you wanted to go that way. But God wants our attention. And our world makes it very hard. And I bet you, in this room, I know not everyone's a Christian, but if you're a Christian, I bet you there are people in this room who no longer read and pray every day. And that is very much connected with your impact in your community, in your world. It's very much connected with how tempting materialism is or sex. And the internet, I think the positives outweigh the negatives, but internet, I meet people all over the world. What do people do online? It's not just pornography. Shopping? Well, I buy my books online. I don't mean that. I mean, they're going into debt, out of control. Gambling online, fantasy sports teams, is it a sin? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that sports or fantasy sports are sin, but I know that we're in sin if we're supposed to be Christians and we're more excited, we're more motivated about that than we are to learn God's word and to share Jesus. Then, yeah, there's a real problem. So we've got to be wise and discreet The Lord wants our attention. And finally, we need to look up. We're born from above. In chapter 4, Jesus told his disciples, lift your eyes. See the fields are white for harvest. I mentioned John 12, 32. When the Son of Man is lifted up, right, then all people will be drawn to him. True faith. It's not just, okay, I looked up, right, I got it, I, I agree. It's a lifestyle. And so just like the desert generation with Moses, we too need to understand the danger. Understand that the Lord cares and provides a solution. And last, that that means we need to look up. So thanks so much for the invitation to speak today. And I pray that you will make the very most of this season in the Winnipeg Church of Christ from January to July of your study in the Old Testament. Old Testament is crucial if we're going to properly understand the New Testament, because even a famous verse like John 3.16, very little is it understood in the religious world. To understand it, we need to do more than just look for a verse. We've got to dig and respect the entire Word of God, not just the last chapters of the New Testament.